Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am an editor at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me again, as usual, with another bright idea is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Back in the 60s, I had a weather-changing machine that was, in essence, a sophisticated heat beam, which we called a laser. Using these lasers, we punch a hole in the protective layer around the Earth, which we scientists call the ozone layer. Slowly but surely, ultraviolet rays would pour in, increasing the risk of skin cancer. That is, unless the world pays us a hefty ransom. Joy. <laughs> that was you an know, easy one. You know, I, I yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, it's funny because I we sort of obfuscate as to what the uh, topic of the show is going to be when we start. Yet, Not this time. Yet. <laughs> you could probably read it before you even. Sure. It just dawned on me that. Yes. Well, uh, obviously, we're going to be that. talking about weather changing technology. Yes. <laughs> no, we're going to talk about lasers. And this comes from a little Facebook feedback. Yippee! Nathan had this to say How do lasers work? How does the light stay in a straight line? What makes them different than a beam of light? Well, Nathan, we thought we would tackle this, and in order to explain lasers, we actually have to first talk about atoms. Indeed, you wouldn't necessarily believe it to be so. Um, you know, maybe not anyway, but mm-hmm. yeah, the the science behind lasers is very, very tiny uh, yes. on the atomic or molecular level, depending on what kind of laser you're talking about. Most of the scientists don't top four foot ten. No, that's a lie. Nice. Uh, at any rate, the yeah, um, right, right to Jonathan. If you, <laughs> if you're so, a tall scientist. So let's just do a little review on atomic science. This is uh, this is from a high level. So anyone who has taken any kind of science classes where you've talked about atoms, this is going to be very familiar to you. But mm-hmm. just just bear with us because you have to start from somewhere, right? Yep. And and not all of our listeners are necessarily going to know this. So the atom is comprised of a nucleus, which is uh, at least one proton and usually a pro- some protons and some neutrons, protons mm-hmm. being the positively charged uh, subatomic particles, neutrons being uh, having no charge. And then there are it's surrounded by a cloud of electrons. Yes. And the electrons are the negatively charged particles. So you have, with a, with a standard atom in its elemental form, you have no net charge because right. the, the protons and electrons cancel one another out. Uh-huh. Now the electrons, uh, it's it, this gets a little complicated. We have to kind of simplify things. Imagine that electrons orbit the nucleus at different uh, shells. Like there's a there's a shell that's a, a certain distance from the nucleus, and then there's another shell further out, and another shell further out, and only so many electrons can occupy each shell at a single time. Yeah, they really they orbit the nucleus in a way that. Uh, in which, you know, for the more complex uh, types of atoms, you, you have some that are closer to the nucleus than others. There's right. just not room enough in that orbit for those other electrons to be in. It's funny because you think about it in a three-dimensional sense, and it's far more complex than the uh, diagrams we have, used to have to make in chemistry class. Right, with the circles and the larger circles and the yeah. larger circles. But if you think about it, I mean, these electrons are negatively charged, right? Right. So that means that they repel one another. Like repels like. Yep. So that's why you can only have so many electrons within that 
physical space because they're going to be pushing against one another as they're uh, rotating, as they're orbiting, I shouldn't say rotating, as they're orbiting the nucleus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now, here's the interesting thing is that the, the if you if you inject energy into an atom, what you're, what happens is that those electrons will elevate to a higher energy state, so they will actually move further away from the nucleus. Mm-hmm. If you if you inject enough energy into an atom, it will lose its electrons or at least some electrons. That's how we generate electricity. Mm-hmm. So, but if you if you don't do that much, if you just generate enough where it's the electrons been pushed out to one of the outer energy levels, and then you then remove that that source of energy. The electron will naturally come back down to its ground energy state. Right. But we know about the law of conservation of energy, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, that energy that you injected into the atom, it has to come back somehow. Well, in this case, when the electron comes back down to its ground state, it emits a photon, which is a light particle. Mm-hmm. And you know who had this idea? Way would back it, in the day. Would it be Mr. Albert Einstein? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, Of course, we have an article about lasers on HowStuffWorks.com, but mm-hmm. I wanted to go uh, see what Britannica had to say about it because I thought that would be a good general explanation for lasers. Um, and it was Albert Einstein who, in 1916, figured that, uh, you know, he, he noticed that, that uh, atoms could release light uh, when they were stimulated by right. light. Mm-hmm. Um and, you know, it was Rudolf Walther Leidenberg in 1928 who actually saw it happen. Mm-hmm. He, w- he was doing some experiments. Um, and for a while, this this phenomenon was just sort of a something that we knew. It yeah. wasn't anything that we did something with. You know, oh, let, let's go build some lasers. In fact, there's a, a natural phenomenon that happens uh, that you can you can observe if you're far enough to the north or to the south on the Earth. That's right. Which are the northern and southern lights, or the aurora borealis and the aurora australis. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this is that, you know, the Earth has a magnetic field, and that magnetic field converges at the north and south poles, the magnetic north and south poles. Right, right. And, uh, and sometimes that magnetic field gets disrupted. For example, when there's a solar flare, mm-hmm. and sometimes the solar flare will send enough energy to Earth that it... it kind of uh, uh, will twist the magnetic field. It will realign Earth's magnetic field. That tends to dump a lot of energy into the ionosphere. And the uh, particles in the ionosphere, they'll, this is what happens. The electrons get elevated to a higher energy state. When uh, the atoms calm down, essentially, they emit photons. And mm-hmm. we, we can see that in visible light. And that's when, you know, if you're at far off to the north and you look off and you see these bright flashing lights in the sky... And there are all these pretty colors. That's what's happening. It's actually the same phenomenon that we use to to create a laser. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and more to laser history. Um, it was Columbia University's Charles H. Towns who uh, decided to try uh, working on atoms at microwave frequencies. Um, and he actually demonstrated in 1953 that it could be done, except he called his a maser for microwave amplification by the stimulated emission of radiation. Right. Um, and he actually got the, the 1964 Nobel Prize for Physics. Um, also, uh, uh, Alexander Prokhorov and Nikolai Basov of the PN Lebedev Physical Institute in Moscow, who also were working on the problem independently. Yeah. I love it when it seems weird that all these things happen simultaneously like we we talked about uh the development of television how two different people 
are credited with the invention of television, depending on whom you ask. Shout out to Philo. Yeah. It's just it's just funny that that um, and this happens all the time. Yeah, in development of calculus, same but thing. Yeah, we, we weird. We uh, way to go, Newton. It's like, can we have a clear winner, please? Anyway, uh, oh, I'm sorry, but yes, I, I was going to say. So yes, you you were mentioning the maser. Uh, that that also is something we should point out that laser itself is an acronym. Mm-hmm. That's true. Light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Mm-hmm. You can see why laser was picked over that. Yep. Yep. And uh, do you have who made the first true laser? Um, I do have the first, the person who uh, made the first uh, true laser. Um, Well, if you're talking about Gordon Gould, that is. Oh, that wasn't who I have, but go ahead. He is the person who actually got, he called it the laser. Oh, I see. Um, And he's the person who filed for the patent. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, if you're talking about uh, Towns again, he was working with uh, Arthur L. Shallow, who Mm -hmm. was his brother-in-law. Um, and they were looking at the infrared light and visible light wavelengths. And um, in December 15th, 1958, they published a uh, an, an issue of Physical Review was published and their paper was in it. Um, but uh, Gordon Gould actually had his patents granted in the 1970s. And he's the one who made most of the money off of it because masers had actually been used in atomic clocks and microwave amplifiers, but they really weren't using them for much else. And lasers, which use a different wavelengths of light, um, they're, you can use them in, in different applications. Sure. And that's why uh, this was so profitable. Are those the people that you had in mind? Actually, the one I have specifically was a fellow who in 1960 built a laser out of a synthetic ruby. Ah, you're talking about Theo. Yeah, Teddy. <laughs> Theodore Maiman. Yes. And uh, that would be the fellow who created the, the first true laser using a synthetic ruby. Now, right. Now, that that's the, the kind of laser that I think of as being the modern, you right. know, the, the kind right. of laser we use today. Although he, what I think is kind of interesting, he used a photographer's flash yeah. uh, as a source yeah. of stimulation for uh, chromium atoms in a, in a ruby crystal, synthetic ruby crystal. Right. So... When you when you're talking about creating a laser, the first step is you have to have some sort of medium that you are going to uh, you're going to apply energy to in order to excite the atoms within that medium. And I understand that's called a gain medium, uh, and also sometimes called a lasing medium. Right, right. So yeah, you, and you the the process of pouring energy into this is called actually it's called pumping. Mm-hmm. You pump the lasing medium to generate photons. That's a, uh, that, that's a uh, verb I often associate with super soakers. Right. Yeah. I I, I associate it with Nikes. Yeah. Those old Air Nikes. Um, <laughs> but the uh, yeah. So you what you do is you have to generate enough energy within this lasing medium so that you're starting to uh, push the electrons into the higher orbits uh, or the higher energy states, I should say, and. What's interesting is that if the uh, once they, the the electrons start coming back down and photons are emitted, mm-hmm. if you've if you've arranged the material the right way, the medium the right way, and you have it uh, contained properly, those photons when they strike other atoms will uh, excite the atoms they hit, ooh, which ooh. will then generate their own photons. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not self-sustaining. It's not going to stay that way forever. You're going to no. lose energy eventually through various means. But that that helps you. That's why it's called stimulated emission of radiation. Mm-hmm. It's it's you stimulate the emission, and then the process starts to help uh, sustain itself. Right. Um, 
Now, with a laser, you typically happen to have uh, mirrors on either side of the lasing medium. Mm -hmm. So um, when the photons start to uh, travel through the medium, and by the way, another interesting thing here is that when a photon hits another atom Mm -hmm. um, and excites the electron, and then the electron comes back down to its ground state, and it emits another photon, that second photon is going to travel in the same direction as the first photon, the mm-hmm. one that hit it the first time. So if you think about it, think of like a series of um, of uh, uh, billiard balls. Yes. Right? Now we're and, talking physics. Right, physics. And just imagine that you somehow manage to line up those billiard bar- balls absolutely perfectly, and, mm-hmm. and they hit exactly the right way so that when the first billiard ball connects with the second, the second one continues to travel in a straight line from the first one, hits the third. Third one continues to hit, go in a straight line, hits the fourth. And it just becomes this chain reaction. Right. Now, because there's a mirror on either end, uh, there's actually a, a complete mirror on one end and a, a partial mirror on the other, um, the photons, when they hit the end, are reflected back into the medium, and then it continues to create these this flow of photons. Now, that partial mirror on the other side allows some photons to pass through. Right, right. And they're all traveling in that one specific direction. It's a very intense, uh, uh, coherent part of a beam of light. Mm-hmm. Now, and, this is the light uh, traveling in a straight direction that Nathan was yes, referencing. Yes, this is it's coherence is the the concept we're talking about here. It's it's organized, right? So every photon is moving in the same direction as opposed to a flashlight which is diffuse, mm-hmm. right? That right. and for one thing, the the flashlight when the photons are emitted, they're emitted in a more random pattern. They're not directed like in a laser. Mm-hmm. And you may even also have a lens that will focus that beam further, mm-hmm. depending upon what uh, um, uh, application you have in mind for this laser. Mm-hmm. Like a laser pointer doesn't need to to focus the laser in a really intense beam because you're using it just to point stuff out and you don't want to burn a hole through the wall. Right. Yeah, that's that's the type of, of laser that I own. I have a, uh, a red laser at home that I use to... Uh, to drive my cats crazy yes um which they very very much enjoy and it also doubles nicely as a laser pointer if you happen to uh need one but that's um you know they're they're fairly inexpensive because they don't need a lot of um high-end parts if you will right um yeah it's uh and it really depends uh too on the type of laser i mean there there are a lot of things that you can change um about lasers to uh, change a number of things like um, the size of the beam and the color yes. because it has a lot to do with the medium. Yeah, we should actually point that out. In fact, I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot to say that. Uh, the other interesting thing about a laser is that they are monochromatic. They are all of a single color. Now, mm-hmm. that color may not even be within the spectrum of what we can view. It might be not 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 with invisible light because mm-hmm. you can have ultraviolet lasers and you can have infrared lasers. Yes. Um, but the color is dependent mainly upon the uh, the state, the energy state of the electrons. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that will depend upon what specific uh, medium you are using as your lasing medium mm-hmm. because the – you know, different atoms have different number of electrons. So therefore, the the state, the various energy states are going to be different depending upon which elements you're using. That's right. So, um, yeah, for example, a, a, a carbon dioxide laser is often used in cutting uh, applications, mm-hmm. and it's um, 
it's it's a it it's got a very large wavelength. Uh, the wavelength that we were talking about earlier, of course, that's talking about how long the a, a particular uh, peak and trough. Right, of, the wavelength. Yeah, that would be a wave. Uh, you know that that determines a lot of different properties of lasers. Uh, red lasers tend to have a wavelength of around 694 nanometers or nanometers, depending on how you prefer it. Um, and remember, a nanometer is one billionth of a meter. It's tiny, tiny, tiny. Yes, it is. Still big on, uh, compared to the atomic scale. Mm-hmm. And the atomic scale is about a tenth the size of the nanoscale. Yes. Um, so, d- like we said, depending on the medium, that's what's going to determine kind of the wavelength and therefore the color of the laser. Mm-hmm. So if you're using something like uh, argon fluoride for your yes. laser, mm-hmm. it's going to be in the ultraviolet range, which means the, the wavelength is around 193 nanometers. So that's a tiny, tiny wavelength. Uh, the carbon dioxide one is 10,600 nanometers. Mm-hmm. So that's quite a long um, wavelength. And then the stuff that we can see, like the typical red uh, laser that might be a helium neon laser that that's one that can produce a, a red color and that's around 633 nanometers in wavelength so uh, that's to me that's a really interesting idea is the fact that you know just by experimenting with different mediums or media I should say not mediums mm-hmm. uh, we've determined that you can create different colors of lasers and and depending and the lasers themselves have different properties that are valuable in various applications mm-hmm. yep um, and it, it's worth noting too um, that you I mean you could use Gases, solids, or liquids yes, as yes. the medium for for uh, lasers, and most of the ones we use are gas. Mm-hmm. Um, liquids are are the least common, uh, from what I understand uh, from my research. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's funny because it, it really the the color laser too. You might go on to uh, uh, shopping sites where they have uh, geek toys, yeah, and uh, and look at them and go, well, you know, the laser a laser pointer is like. Five dollars for a red one, but it's you know ninety or one hundred fifty dollars for blue or violet or you know what what is the deal with that? Well, um, I, I think part of that is that some are easier to make than others. Right. Um, part of that is probably the medium too. Yeah, the and, scarcity of the medium and part of its demand. Yes. Um, and I think part of it also is how cool they look and right. how new they are because. Um, now the red lasers, uh, red laser pointers have been available for so long. Um, you know they're pretty common. I mean, you could get. I, I I picked mine up as a matter of fact in the grocery store in the pet section. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you want a if you want a violet laser, they're harder to find. Um, yeah, they I haven't been out as long, and they're kind of expensive. I hear Mace Windu had to drop three Corellian freighters in order to get his lightsaber. You know, I almost mentioned lightsabers and whether or not we were growing our own crystals or not. No, for this. no. lightsabers. And then I thought, I'll wait and see if Jonathan mentions it. You can just go and out... listen to our lightsaber podcast if you want to. That was that was a fun one. But yeah, um, uh... but yeah, it has these 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 wavelengths. These lasers at different mm-hmm. wavelengths are great for different kinds of applications too. Sure. Because I know you were you were uh, you know talking about Blu-ray players, right? Blu-ray versus DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So DVD players, um, the old DVD players used uh, or still use really uh, red lasers to Mm -hmm. read uh, information off of a DVD. And the way this basically works is think of the DVD. It's got a it's got a layer on the DVD that has information that's recorded in, in essentially little pits. 
Mm-hmm. These little pits uh, are read as ones and zeros. What happens is a laser will hit the pit uh, or the blank space because that's also information. It's just mm-hmm. saying it's a zero rather than one, right. essentially. I'm, I'm oversimplifying. Yes, yes. It's, but, it's complicated. but And there's a reflective surface that's beneath that layer. Yep. So the laser hits the, the pit or the smooth space, hits the reflective surface, bounces back toward a uh, sensor. Sensor. I'm talking about lasers <laughs> like and sensors. I don't know what the heck's happening to me this morning, guys. Anyway, so the laser hits the pit, hits the reflective surface, bounces back, hits the sensor. The sensor detects whether, you know, what kind of element was on the DVD. That gets translated into digital information, which then eventually becomes the picture on your television screen. Right. Mm-hmm. So with a red laser, uh, you remember the red laser's wavelength is around 633 nanometers. Mm-hmm. So there's a certain amount of information you could fit on a DVD, single-layer DVD, uh, that you cannot exceed because the red laser is only able to detect something of a size that its wavelength can hit and bounce back from. Mm-hmm. Like if the pits were smaller, the wavelength wouldn't even detect it because the wavelength would be larger than the the actual element it was trying to detect. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, Blu-ray players use a blue laser, and blue lasers have a a smaller wavelength, a shorter wavelength. Right. Their wavelength is around 488 nanometers. Mm -hmm. So essentially you can cram more information onto a Blu-ray disc because the wavelength is smaller. Right. And uh, the the pattern on the, the DVD, if you will... I'm, well, I mean, the disc itself right. uh, is doesn't have to be as large for yeah. the laser to read it. So you can pack more information on there because the blue laser has no trouble reading it at a smaller size. Exactly. Yeah. If you if you want to think of it in a, a here's another weird way. Think of it like a, a wall that's covered in uh, in in white and black dots. Okay. All right. But the white and black dots are maybe like uh, six inches in diameter. Mm-hmm. So you're using a flashlight, and the flashlight is. Shoot is has a has a circle of about six inches in diameter from the distance that you're at the wall, and you 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 count the number of dots as you swipe the flashlight left and right across the the wall. Mm-hmm. Well, then let's say that you've got another uh, wall that has dots that are two inches in diameter, and you've got a flashlight and you've got a light that's two inches in diameter. It's you're going to be able to count way more dots on that wall. Mm-hmm. than you could with the, the ones that were six inches in diameter. That's the same concept here. So it, it's interesting to me that just by switching to a different kind of laser, uh, we've been able to cram more information in uh, a storage medium. Mm-hmm. It's a really neat idea. And we talked recently about Light Peak, <laughs> which is now called Thunderbolt, at least as far as... Apple products. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Because it's apparently got an exclusivity deal with Apple. Um, but you, we, we talked about Lightpeak a couple of uh, episodes ago. Right. And Lightpeak uses um, infrared uh, uh, Light lasers. wavelengths? Yeah, infrared lasers instead of uh, visible spectrum lasers. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's the same sort of concept here is that it's using that to shoot information from a chip to a device or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Uh, the digital information gets translated into a series of flashes of this laser, which get picked up by another sensor and then transmitted back into digital information. Mm-hmm. Now, um, there's something else I wanted to talk about that's related, but not exactly on topic, but it's it's very recent and it's really cool, so I thought I would mention it if uh-huh. it's okay with you. Please do. Have you heard about this uh, this article? It was published in the February 18th, 2011 issue of Science. 
Is it about an anti-laser? It is. I, I knew about Uncle Laser, but I don't know <laughs> anti-laser very well. Please, I, all right, let, in the interest of full, uh, full disclosure, I have not read this article. I don't know anything about it, but our uh, one of our science editors, Allison Loudermilk, she mentioned it to me this morning, and I thought, oh, I need to look that up, and I just didn't have the time to do it. So please tell me, what is this? Uh, well, I got my information not from that particular article, but from uh, the Yale Daily News, an article by Antonia Woodford. Uh, and, and it's relevant to Yale because it's Yale physicists who came up with this idea. It's a, it actually is a device that absorbs light instead of emitting light. Mm-hmm. So that's why people are calling it the anti-laser. That's not really what it is. Uh, the, a, a laser, you know, stimulates atoms to, to generate light. Um, and this absorbs light, so they're calling it an anti-laser, but it's really called, and, and the reason you'll, you'll understand in a second why people are calling it the anti-laser, because it's a lot more fun to say than coherent, perfect absorber. Yeah, I know. It's a scientific name. Hmm. So anyway, um, uh, physicists Douglas Stone and uh, Wee Cow um, were working on a device that absorbs uh, light, and basically instead of using a gain medium... Uh, it uses an absorbing medium instead. So it's basically a, a chamber like a laser. Um, and if you shoot two light beams into the two uh, and two ends, both ends of the device, mm-hmm. uh, it will absorb around 99.4% of infrared light. Um, and basically what happened uh, is uh, Stone was trying to describe how lasers work, much as we are trying to do, to someone else and realize, you know what, I bet you could reverse this process and mm-hmm. have it absorb light. So as an experiment, he, he decided to work on this and um, basically, you know, was successful in, in, in creating a device that if you, um, you know, shown a uh, an infrared light into it, it would absorb the light. And you say, okay, well, that's a neat experiment, but what can you do with it? Well, you remember when we were talking just a moment ago about transmitting information mm-hmm. uh, via light peak uh, or, uh, you know, the Blu-ray and DVD players, you're transmitting information over the laser. Um, you can use uh, the uh, coherent, perfect absorber, I'm sorry, anti-laser. Yeah, it's not really what it's called, but it's so much more fun to yeah, say. Yeah, it's easier to say, too. Yes, it is. Um, you can use it to detect pollutants in the air, and uh, because it can basically by by shining the the light through the pollutants and having it in uh, end up in the uh, coherent perfect absorber, uh-huh. um, it, you know you you can pick up information from that. Also, you can use it for wireless communications, transmitting uh, information basically from one point to the other with a, a light on one end and the absorber on the other end. Um, so they, they, they said also it could be used in optical computer chips. So that will give you another article to write. And maybe this time they won't change the name at the last minute. I have another possible use for it. Okay. You could use it to coat your car and then the cops can't tell how fast you're going using a laser uh, speed detector. I'm, I'm betting that that's not going to work. It's like a stealth car. It's brilliant. I'll make a billion. No one steal that. (laughs) But yeah, they can use it in. Uh, they think they can use it in optical computer chips by chain to to change light into electricity. Um, so it's you know it's not just an experiment. It's something they think they can uh, uh, you know put into products in the future, and uh, it's kind of a neat idea. I would never have thought to to do that. Um, but then again, in 1954, I might not have seen uh, use for a laser either. So. 
I thought we might also talk a little bit about uh, potential hazards with lasers. Ah, yes. Because uh, here's the thing, is that when you have this intense beam of light, that's a lot of energy concentrated into a relatively small space. Yes. And that energy can sometimes be uh, dangerous. Oh, yes, yes, Um, especially if it's particularly concentrated. Right. So there are different uh, levels of laser classifications Mm -hmm. that, um, that will... That essentially will tell you like how dangerous they can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, a class one laser, uh, they they aren't really that hazardous at all. But it goes from class one to class four. And there's a couple of uh, little sub levels in there too. Like there's class, you know, there's like a class three M and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But um, up to the class four laser, you're talking about high powered lasers, which are dangerous to look at and are also they they can you know create they could they could burn things they including you <laughs> or other objects um and uh interestingly a lot of this has to do with the wavelength again so mm-hmm. lasers that have a wavelength between uh, say around uh, 180 to 350 nanometers can uh, if you were to get hit in the eyes with them they can actually create uh, inflammation of the cornea mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, slightly higher than that, up to 400 nanometers, you're talking about possibly creating uh, cataracts. Oh, yeah. Um, and then higher than that, you're talking about retinal burn. Uh, and then uh, you're talking about corneal burn, if you get a little higher than that. I mean, it's it's dangerous stuff, especially around the eyes. And that's part of the reason why you may have heard stories about um, pilots and airlines concerned with the possibility of people shining lasers into the cockpits of airplanes. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this is a thing. I mean, there have been thousands of incidents reported of pilots uh, noticing that someone's trying to uh, direct a laser into the cockpit. It's not to burn the person necessarily, but perhaps blind them or cause some other uh, uh problem during a takeoff or landing and those of course are the most critical times uh, of an uh, when an airplane is is traveling mm-hmm. so uh yeah lasers are are i mean they're kind of cool to play with but yes when you hear the warning don't shine this into your eye take that to heart yeah and don't shine it into anyone else's eye right yeah don't shine it in any eyes no yeah. eyes get get shown in yeah I, I have the feeling that a lot of people who are are trying uh, to shine lasers into airplanes are, are just fooling around um, and aren't necessarily trying to hurt anyone. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's not a, a fun prank to pull on someone. I should also say, I said 3M, and uh, that's not right. There is a class... 3A and 3B? 3, 3R and 3B. Oh. There's, it's are. an R and a B. R. Yeah, because it, it, our article is a little outdated. There, there's been a reclassification okay. of the laser system. So actually, we, I need to go in and, and update our article. I just noticed that as I was looking. I was like, wait a minute. I, I know that there was a reclassification of the laser system. Uh, yeah, there's a class 2M, but there's no 3M. There's 3R and 3B. Uh, but at any rate, yeah, it, the higher you go in general, the more dangerous the laser is to your health and safety. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're probably going to find lots of other cool uses for lasers. We've used lasers to do everything from... Uh, studying things at the atomic level to studying things at the cosmic level. Mm-hmm. So it's an incredibly useful uh, tool, and it's really amazing that Einstein was able to come up with essentially what was the basis of what what all lasers work on way back in, in 1916. And you know there was no way at the time, no real practical way at the time, to build anything that would uh, uh, 
prove that his uh, theory was correct. Mm-hmm. So it took a, several decades before we were able to build something that actually said, hey, you know what? He seems to know something about this. Well, you know, he he was kind of ahead of his time in a lot of ways. Yeah, well, it's all relative. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Nice. So that wraps up this discussion. If you do want to learn more about lasers, we have several articles on the site that relate to lasers, including how lasers work. But also our articles on everything from CD players, which also use lasers, to DVD, Blu-ray, um, and tons of other content. And it, it is a really fascinating technology, and mm-hmm. I recommend looking into it if you've ever been curious. Um, also, there's the uh, that amazing documentary film, Real Genius. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of students making a laser. Nice. Okay, that that's that's not a documentary. It's actually a comedy from the '80s starring Val Kilmer. Yes. But uh, yeah, I, I recommend all those things because that movie's hilarious. And with that, we're gonna wrap up this discussion. If you would like to tell us about how you plan to use a laser to dominate the Earth or any other sort of suggestions of topics that we can tackle, you can let us know on Twitter or Facebook. Our handle there is TechStuffHSW, or you can email us. That address is TechStuff at HowStuffWorks.com and Chris and I will talk to you again really soon. Pew Pew Laser. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?